Welcome back into The Drive. Darren Vaught with you instead of Josh Graham. He's gone today and tomorrow. Happy to do it. Shaking off the rust in our first hour here, as it's been a while. And I mentioned before the break of all the major league sports that are gearing back up to get back into regular play, as irregular as it might be on their respective calendars. Major League Baseball, they they kicked, punted at a 1-14 game proposal from the Players Association earlier this week and didn't offer a counter-proposal from the owners. And they're going to aim for something like a 50-game season or possibly even shorter. And that's why we bring in people like Tim Kirchin of ESPN who has covered Major League Baseball for a long, long time. Tim, many thanks for being here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, My pleasure. And, yes, all's well here. I hope all is well there. Absolutely. Um, Tim, I mentioned the 114-game proposal. um, Not good enough for the owners. Why no counteroffer? This time, after you know they offered 82 games uh, for a slate last week, and nothing in return uh, to to try and meet the the union halfway. Well, there'll be a counter offer, and it was no surprise that this was uh, not accepted. This is how these negotiations work. Unfortunately, what Major League Baseball wants to do now is make sure, number one, that everyone's healthy, that the season ends, including the World Series, by November the 1st, just in case there's another wave of the pandemic. Uh, And baseball wants to play as many games as possible, but 114 just doesn't make any sense to them on several levels. The way it's been explained to me is the owners will work much better if they play, say, 60 games, They pay the prorated rate for each game, which they agreed upon in March. And then they play, you know, extended playoffs in October. They make a ton of money because that's where the money comes from is October baseball. And that way, Major League Baseball feels like it can semi-salvage a season, semi-make some money, and go from there. The big question, of course, is are the players – going to agree to a 60-game season when their proposal was for 114 games, which, of course, would mean a lot more money for the players. But that's now they have to find a middle ground, and that's going to be the real, real hard part. And, and what would you say – I mean, I'm not asking you to do anything but really speculate based on what you know at this point. What's your confidence level that will have at least a short form of a Major League Baseball season? Well, I'm not confident of anything these days. (laughs) Things have been so unusual. But my best speculation is we're going to play 60 games. And we're going to play from August 1st through September the 1st. We're going to play a month in October in the playoffs. And I think that's going to be it. And I think at this point, I think we should all be thankful if that's what we get. Because the alternative is potentially no baseball at all, which is, entirely possible because so many other roadblocks have to be crossed before we can do anything. I mean, getting the money straight and the number of games straight is very difficult, but there are equally difficult issues, quarantine, testing, 
keeping everyone safe, scheduling, where are we going to play these games? We don't have the answers to hardly any of this stuff. So I still think we're going to play, but if we don't play at all, I'm not going to be surprised. Well, you said it, the, the, the variety of elements involved in these negotiations has made everything unusual, to say it at the very least. Uh, you've covered this league for many years. We've got the coronavirus, COVID-19 outbreak. Minor league baseball contraction was likely on the way anyway. Uh, has there ever been a more complicated time for the league? No, this this is the strangest. This is the weirdest that I've, and this is the worst I've ever seen. And it's it's basically nobody's fault to this point. Uh, I covered the '81 strike, and that was really difficult to cover. Of course, I covered the '94, '95 strike. That was equally difficult. But this is different, and this has so many different elements to it, with so many unanswered questions, and so many people trying hard to do the right thing. And yet they get stopped at certain borders with municipalities and the federal government and all sorts of rules, as there should be in a, in a situation like this. And that's part of the problem is we really don't have any precedent from which to draw here to figure out what to do next. You know, 94, 95, at least they could look back at previous labor negotiations and figure out how, in a way, to get something solved. But trying to solve all this, it's extremely difficult, and as difficult as it's been, both sides deserve a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that they're dealing with something that we've never had to deal with before. Yeah, and I think the benefit of the doubt, Tim, is it should be granted because, as you mentioned, everybody's trying their best. I mean, there are, there are self-serving interests, and everybody's just trying to get their, their piece of the pie um, I don't even like to, to go down in this well of, of potential sadness with you, but uh, you know I know you just as much as an optimist as uh, someone that's got a really good beat on how things are in that league amongst the players and the owners and everybody across it. Uh, I, I, as you know, do broadcast work with USA Baseball, so I'm excited for next week's draft, and plenty of our guys are set to move to the next level. Um What's the worst-case scenario? Obviously no 2020 season, but wouldn't that thus push 2021 to starting potentially without fans and moving into even more labor negotiations? Yes, that would be the worst possibility is this season is wiped out, and therefore it will clearly affect free agency after this season because all those owners that lost all this money are not going to be willing to pay for premium baseball players because they just lost the season. That's clearly going to affect the 2021 season, which you're right. We're still not even sure if we'll have fans in the stands for that season. And then the worst of all possibilities is that after 2021, we have to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement, which is hanging over everything right now and that's part of the issue is i'm worried that the players and the owners are are negotiating for something two years from now rather than what's going to happen right now in order to get baseball back on the field so if you look at the real doomsday situation this year's lost next year is affected and i'm not saying this is going to happen but who knows if there's even going to be a 2022 season i mean after the 21 season if 
we don't come to some sort of an agreement. We could have a lockout, we could have a strike, and that's something we don't want to think about, especially in troubled times like this. Uh, that's really good stuff from Tim Kirkson of ESPN, who is our guest. Um, you mentioned the owners will not go without a counterproposal, even though they skipped that part of the process this week. So what is next? What is going to be the next step, and when can fans expect to see that come to fruition? Well, the two sides have to continue working like every second of every day to try to find, again, that middle ground where everyone is going to be happy because clearly they're not, neither side is happy right now. And that's going to be the challenge is getting the financial part settled, which is always the hardest part and the most important part, and then start to look at the rest. So Major League Baseball kind of let everyone know, hey, we're interested in a shorter season, um, but we and we need to be done October the thirty first. So that's what the that's what they're going to deal with now. Is it fifty games? Is it one hundred and fourteen games? Is it right in the middle? That's what they're going to be negotiating, and then hopefully, eventually, they will give us the news and say, "All right, we've agreed on sixty three games starting August the first. Whatever. That's what we're all hoping for is that they can at least come up with something that works. I uh, certainly hope so. As a fan of Major League Baseball, I-, I think these negotiations are about as important as any in the the history of the league. And and the last thing we want to see is a potential, you know, missing two out of three seasons or, or, or something catastrophic like that. So, uh, Tim Kirchin of ESPN, uh, really do appreciate the time. Uh, keep up the good work. Stay safe, and hopefully, we'll catch up with some games to talk about here soon. I sure hope so. Thanks so much. Thanks. That's Tim Kirchin at Kirchin underscore ESPN on Twitter. One of the best in the baseball business, for sure. And I don't mean to, to paint it with such dark colors, but I, that's what it's what I keep thinking about. The what ifs. The what ifs are are scary. They're heavy. If you are a fan of Major League Baseball and Look, I didn't cover the league in 1981. I was years from being born. In the mid-90s, I was a fan, but I was a young fan. It's not like I really knew the ins and outs of those negotiations. So to me, this this is the, the most at risk my favorite professional sports league has been in my lifetime. And I really, really, really sincerely hope we get a season. Um, this year... Next year, of course, with or without fans at the beginning, and in 2022. Uh, it's uh, Again, I hate painting the doomsday picture, but it's real. It's a possibility, and Tim is, again, optimistic and realistic at the same time. So I knew he would give us the straight. Uh, so my thanks to Tim Kirchin of ESPN for dropping by here on The Drive. On the other side, Robert. What are we doing on the other side? Uh, I'm an idiot when it comes to baseball, and you're going to smart me up a little bit. Okay. We're going to call it Baseball for Dummies. That's next on The Drive. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves the way his new jeans highlight his man curves. Ooh, hot. Oh, hot. yeah, right. that's hot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
This is like power walking music. I didn't even think of it like steady, that. Steady, nice and easy. I don't know what this is, but it's 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 uh, Circles by Post Malone. Oh, huh. Which you know is what? I like it so much more without him. It, see, and I, I like Post Malone, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think he's a very gifted musician, but some of that gets drowned out by all the the alcohol and the rock star lifestyle and the slurring of your words. Like sure. I, I would take you much more seriously if I, I could just see you as an artist. Yeah. And not so much the 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 things that come with you being an artist, you know? I get that. I get that. He's got some catchy tracks. Yeah, I just, I just, um, the instrumental there to me sounded a lot different than the actual song without once, him on it. Yeah, when, once he's on it. But um, that's beside the point. I'm Darren Vaught, <laughs> in for Josh Graham. This is the drive, and I, we're doing something baseball related in this segment, Robert. Right? This is kind of, uh, kind of your brainchild when you knew I was going to come in for two days. Yeah, because I. Uh, during this whole quarantine, I know some people just forget about COVID while this is going on, but I, I really wanted to uh, improve myself during quarantine. I felt like there, was, there wasn't there was so much about the outside world as it much as it was introspectively. Sure. And I know that you are somewhat of an expert when it comes to baseball, which is something that is outside of my wheelhouse. I wouldn't even say it's a house, you know? So I, I wanted, while you're here, and maybe we could do this in the future, you to teach baseball to a dummy, which is me. So I have some, I've collected a few phrases, maybe a baseball player or two, that I'd like okay. you to explain to me. So maybe I can get a better grasp on baseball because of it, if that makes sense. All right. Okay. No, I'm, uh, you, I make mo- no mistake about it. I'm all for talking baseball. Pretty much any time we can. That's why I'm glad you're here today. Yeah, so this is perfect. Go ahead. Uh, I thought we could start off kind of easy with a balk. What the hell is a balk? A balk? Yes. As in B-A-L-K. Yes. Well, it's an illegal motion by the pitcher that um, results in penalty of advancement of all base runners. So So anybody that's on base gets to move forward to base if the pitcher balks. Correct. And now... There are several different motions that can lead to or constitute a balk, but most of the time it involves the pitcher pretending to to make a movement toward the mound as if he's going to pitch to deceive the runner. To try to to catch him unaware. To try and catch him unaware and throw over at the bag. So the idea is once you make your first movement toward the plate as if you're going to pitch it, you've then committed to the pitch and you have to go through with it. Gotcha. Okay, so a balk in my life would be like I make a uh, I make a fool of myself for everyone else's enjoyment. So they get to move they get to move a whole base forward with the girl they're with or in a conversation like look at this dummy, but then I am penalized for doing such a maneuver, maybe streaking at a party or something. And then uh, you're just left to go back to the mound and figure it out all over. Yeah, again. Yep, again I get uh, it. So to start off, number two, I have what the hell is an ugly finder? I I've heard this term before. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It sounds like something that I did in college. You know, like all my friends end up with the good-looking girls, and I've got the one with the cross eye. You know. So you were an ugly finder. Oh, in I, dude, I, I I can find them right now. I can tell you how many are in this building. There's three and a half. If you squint, she looks pretty good. That's where the half comes from. Well, in baseball. An ugly finder is a well-hit ball that is either close to or right at someone. So imagine like a uh, 
a batter turns really quickly on a pitch and lines a foul ball into the dugout. And it dings somebody. Or if it doesn't, and it just comes close to dinging one guy in particular, baseball is a, a, a sport just like any other where camaraderie is a big deal and, and teams joke around with one another. You might want to razz someone a bit. Ah, so you, so would you say, say, oh, that one was an ugly finder. It almost hit Joe. Oh, ah, I get it. Baseball and their rules. <laughs> We're just two guys talking baseball. Okay, and finally, I felt like I, I wouldn't get a full enrichment of baseball unless I didn't understand maybe its past and some of its players. So I would like you to give me just just a, a brief history or maybe an understanding of who R.A. Dickey is. Wow, R.A. Dickey, okay. Um, knuckleballer. But okay. that was not always the case, as is common with knuckleballers. A lot of the time they start off trying to make it as a more conventional pitcher, but one thing leads to another, and in order to save their career and be good enough to withstand some adversity and stay in the bigs, they convert to strictly a knuckleballer, and that's the case with R.A. Dickey. Um, he won a Cy Young because of it with the Mets. Look at this guy. A handful of years ago and has since, well, he was older. So that's the other benefit of being a knuckleballer is typically you can play a little bit longer. Guys like Tim Wakefield for the Red Sox lasted a long time. No clue. You, you <laughs> right no clue. Over, to be honest the, with you, I don't literally... even know what the hell a knuckleballer is. I'm just <laughs> smiling and grinning. But R.A. Dickey was a knuckleballer and he won a Cy Young award. He, he ended up on a list I saw. It was like baseball players whose lives would make fantastic movies. Why, why would R.A. Dickey... So, okay, yeah, no, this is a great question because there's the baseball adversity, right? Saving his career by totally changing himself. He they looked, said one he, pitch changed his he entire... He looked inward, right? Yeah. And he was just a mediocre at absolute best pitcher in the major leagues. Was on the verge of getting cut or designated for assignment and taken out of an organization completely. And then he was like, all right, well, wait a minute. Here's my last-ditch effort. I'm going to learn a knuckleball, which is, you know, the little dancing pitch that's slow. Okay, that's what a knuckleball is. Yeah, gotcha. So you throw it with your knuckles rather than – I'm making these hand motions toward Robert as if you guys can see it. But you just – you hold it with your knuckles as opposed to wrapping your fingers around it. Gotcha. Not the claw technique. Correct. So he learned a knuckleball. And that saved his career, and he, you know, had a couple more seasons in the tank because of it. Not to mention a Cy Young Award season. Wow! His story is also fantastic. He wrote a, a book. His autobiography is called "Wherever I Wind Up." I actually own a copy. Would be happy to lend it to you. Nice. He went to the University of Tennessee, which is where he met his wife. Go Vols! And he's struggled. He's he is a a a bit of a troubled person in his youth and Aren't came out very, very explicitly about his infidelities in that relationship in, in his book. And um, he, he just overcame a lot of, of mental strife in both baseball and life. So I think that's, that was probably a good explanation of why you saw it on that list. Okay, cool, man. This is awesome. I feel like I, I know <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what any of these things were. Yeah, we, had to re- we had to go back to a knuckleball. You asked yeah. me about a knuckleballer yeah. and not, you didn't even know what a knuckleball was. I used the phrase two inside baseball the other day and I was like, please don't ask me what that means. No, I, see, that's the funny thing about the term inside baseball is that it in and of itself is inside baseball. People don't understand what you mean by it. Ah, uh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Uh, and since we're on uh, 
since we're on baseball players, I figured we could do uh, one of our favorite segments when you come in, uh, comparing. And I've got some baseball players here that I would like okay. you to compare for me. I, I love that we're just switching between whimsical music, you know? Yeah. I, well, I like this one. That, that was the ESPN baseball music, right? Yes. Before, and, and now we've got the, the Wee Weather or whatever it is. You remembered. Look at you. I feel like we're growing together. <laughs> uh, anyway, so if you guys are new to this, uh, comparing with Darren is where I give Darren two sort of similar things, and I ask him to compare them. And today, I'm asking him to compare fictional baseball players to their counterparts in the real-life Major League. Uh, I don't know if it's their actual counterparts, but this is the only players I knew that could be similar. It might not be. In, uh, I, pro- I would probably go, not go at all. as far as to bet that it won't be, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, just uh, humor me here. Uh, so we've got. I'm going to start off with uh, Rick Vaughn, Wild Thing, from Major League, and I would like you to compare him to John Smoltz. Okay, not a ton in common, but I'll give you this. In the original Major League, Rick the Wild Thing Vaughn is primarily used as a starting pitcher. In Major League 2, he loses his stuff. His fastball does not have nearly the velocity it does, and that's part of his character arc in that second story. So he gets moved to the bullpen. Well, by the end of the film... He's a star closer and helps them win the pennant by throwing 99 miles per hour at the end of a game as their closer. John Smoltz has had very successful runs as both a starter and a closer in his time with the Atlanta Braves. Ah, see, I only knew him as a closer because, listen, my baseball knowledge goes from like 2,000 Braves like Marcus Giles, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. That's all. I, that's all I got. So like, I knew John Smoltz was a closer, and I thought Rick Vaughn was a closer. He was not. Either way, moving on. Uh, I would like you to compare Steve Nebraska from the Scout Ooh. to Doc Ellis, uh, a pitcher I know only because he threw a no hitter on acid. He threw a no hitter on acid. Correct. Steve Nebraska was not on acid at the time, but I believe. At the film's conclusion, in the scout, Steve Nebraska played, of course, by Brendan Fraser. There you go. His name was escaping me. Throws a no-hitter, right? Or a Correct. perfect game Correct. at the end for the Yankees. But you, we, don't, we never know if they win the World Series. It's only game one of the World Series in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, did, I mean, that, that's the story, though. He threw, he threw a perfect Come game on, who won the, the World who Series. Who won the game? <laughs> I need to know the game. We're pushing up on the hour. I'll try to move this along a little. This is the last one. We got Moonlight Graham from Field of Dreams, the old man that I think my mom kissed in her younger days. <laughs> uh, I would like you to compare him to Bobby Cox. Like I said, the Braves' old manager. Ooh, this one's a good one. Um, so Braves fans might realize this. Bobby Cox has been ejected more than any manager in Major League history. I didn't know that, but I would guess him. If you include postseason ejections, it's 161 times, nearly a full season. Look at you, game. you're a savant. How did you pull that number out? I would assume multiple times it was for telling umpires they needed to get their vision checked. Well, in real life, Moonlight Graham, or Doc Graham, as he was known, the North Carolina native, was an actual doctor who prescribed glasses to many. Hmm. Very nice. Look at you. And that's comparing with Darren.
Uh, this is the Sports Hub Triad. You can listen in Greensboro on 93.7 FM, High Point 104.9 FM, Winston-Salem 101.5, and Burlington 104.5. You're tuned into The Drive. Well, that was fun. I'm glad you enjoyed that. I do feel smarter. I do think I know more about baseball now for you being here, and I do appreciate that. Good. That's what I try to do. Now, if Major League Baseball doesn't have a a season, two of its next three seasons, I don't know how marketable that makes me. But (laughs) I'll have some summer reading until they come back. (laughs) And I'll at least have occasional fill-in spots on the drive here in place of our friend Josh Graham. Back at it on the drive, Darren Vaught in for Josh Graham. Some more power walking music yeah, no, for you. Yeah, no, absolutely great power walking music. I, You know, I was at a place yesterday that our guest, Brian Geisinger, happens to love. The North Carolina Museum of Art. They've got outdoor displays with a walking track that goes around. And like that track there embodies what I was feeling and doing when I was there just out out for a little stroll on a nice called, sunny uh, Wednesday super lonely by Benet if you and like. it's called super lonely super lonely but yeah just hit me right in the wheelhouse <laughs> God, I love that Robert beautiful all right well let's talk basketball now BG Brian Geisinger of accsports.com the ACC sports journal Buzzbeat Podcast and Sports Channel 8 at BGuys underscore Bird on Twitter. My good friend, BG, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm jealous. You were at the, uh, the North Carolina Museum of Art yesterday. That's a, uh, it's a great place to be, especially when it's, uh, when it's nice outside. It really is one of the best places like in the state. It in is, my and, it, and it was beautiful, and I unplugged for a couple of hours and, and desperately needed it, so it was, it was a good place to be, I assure you, as you well know. Yeah, it tends to be. For sure. So yep. this morning, the NBA Board of Governors approved this new uh, 22-team plan to resume and finish the regular season, move into the playoffs, and it included teams that were within six games of a playoff spot. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Hornets were within seven, so they missed yeah. this cut. And, you know, it's not just barely missing out on a, a playoff berth, but it's it's a lot better than we expected them to be at the season's beginning, no? No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, in, in more ways than one. I think in part because no one saw – you know, maybe outside of the Hornets organization, no one saw Devontae Graham's, you know, his rocket ship taking off this season. And and I would say maybe even people inside the Hornets organization didn't even know because Devontae was coming <laughs> off the bench at the start of the season as Terry Rozier was actually starting at point guard for the Hornets uh, in October and in parts of November before Devontae just got too good. But yeah, he turned into one of the best pick-and-roll and, and off-dribble shooters and pick-and-roll passers in the, in the NBA. I mean, Devontae still has plenty of issues defensively but he was really really good offensively this year in charlotte outperformed their point differential they had some really nice uh late game moments uh malik monk hit a game winner Devonte graham hit a game winner and stuff like that had them actually yes for outperforming their point differential and their net rating 
And I just think in general, too, like I've talked about this a lot with my buddies, Spencer Percy and Richard Randall on, on the Buzzy podcast, but like the, the, the product was just entertaining to watch. Yes, they lost a lot of games, and, and sometimes it was in perhaps frustrating fashion, but they played a fun, they, they, you know, they shot a lot of threes, they really spread the court out this season, still ran a lot of pick and roll like they used to do with Kemba, but now with, uh, with Devontae Graham. But I thought that you saw moments from some of the young guys this season. Uh, P.J. Washington had a nice rookie year. Obviously, Devontae was, was incredible. Um, Miles Bridges a little, a little up and down. But even Cody Martin from, uh, from, from little Moxville, North Carolina, right there in the, uh, the listening audience. Um, yeah, I mean, even he had a, had a nice rookie season and looks like a, a rotation piece in a defensive wing going forward. So even though they missed the playoffs, I think they exceeded expectations this season, and and I think that you can define that in a variety of different ways. And it seemed to me, you mentioned the fun style of play, BG. Now, this is an organization that moved on from one one head coach in Steve Clifford to James Borrego, and stylistically, I think Clifford, though a good coach, was not really doing the organization any favors in terms of making it a watchable team every year they had the common piece in Kimball Walker uh he and and Borrego both in Borrego's first year anyway but it just seems like Borrego coming from the Spurs organization wants to 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 play a a more efficiency minded um brand of basketball that just that just resonates with the the 2020 fan right yeah, for sure. I mean, like, look, Steve Clifford is, and, and you know this too. Steve Clifford's a great coach. He's a he's a floor raiser for any team. Like, you bring him in. We've seen we've literally seen it in Orlando. I mean, there's very good chance they're going to make the playoffs for the second straight year uh, under Steve Clifford, admittedly, uh, in in a, in a watered down Eastern Conference. But um, you know, he 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 just he constructs top five, top ten defenses sometimes at an average. Pieces. Now he's got some really good defenders in Orlando right now, but we saw this in Charlotte, like him being able to build a top 10 defense around Al Jefferson at center. Um, and he was, he did an okay job sort of updating with the times too, as, as NBA offenses became more spread and pick and roll heavy and stuff like that. Like Steve Crifford is, is a basketball genius. Um, but his emphasis is on the defensive side of the court and, he is sort of cut from that cloth where he's going to be a little less likely to have, I think, a, a longer rope with younger players. And we've seen that even in Orlando with, with Mo Bamba, too. But, like, a guy like Malik Monk, like, it was tough for him to find reliable minutes uh, during the 2017-2018 season. He was sort of up and down as a rookie. We saw it with Noah Vonley in the 14-15 season, too. And I think as the franchise was turning over the leaf from the Kemba era to, you know, rebuilding and whatever is ahead, and, and man, did they have a, a wrench thrown into all of that um, with, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and how that's going to really impact uh, the, the balance sheet in Charlotte and certainly around the league. But they focused on player development. Um, 40% of their shots this year were threes. I mean, that, that's way up for a three-point attempt rate in Charlotte. Um, they started the season playing pretty fast, and then by the end of the season were probably towards the bottom of the league in, in pace. But, um, yeah, no, focus on player development, build culture, shoot threes, move the ball. 
like Charlotte is saying and doing a lot of the right things and starts with Borrego, but it even goes down to what we saw with the Greensboro Swarm this year. You know, they're running the, the Swarm and Joe Wolf. They're running the same sets. They're playing the same style of basketball. And that kind of congruency from parent club to farm team to how you want to draft, to how you want to sign free agents, like all of that, all of that matters. And, and I, I really do think it was like a, a step in the right direction for Charlotte. And we'll just have to see what happens as they, you know, now re- try to rebuild around coronavirus too. Yeah. Brian Geisinger is with us at bgeis underscore bird on Twitter. Um, be sure to check out the BuzzBeat podcast as the league today is is making some some more firm, tentative right. plans for the NBA draft and things. You guys are are, are doing a, a deep dive on most NBA draft prospects that, that could possibly be there mm-hmm. for the Hornets. Um, so it's some really good stuff there. I encourage you to check it out. And it's interesting yeah, it, that, you, that you say that it, stuff with the the this the the books, the money on the books, which has been the concern going into the past couple of seasons for the Hornets, because that calendar mm-hmm. is getting shape shifted as well currently. So, uh, what was yeah. going to be a freeing year financially for the Hornets, you know, at some point that money's all going to be off the books, but that's a, a moving target. Yeah, it is. And and like no one no one knows quite how how that's going to shape up. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure over the last 2 2 and a half months the Hornets have been crunching all different kinds of numbers. Like I'm sure every front office, all 30 front offices except for except for maybe the Knicks, uh have been have been doing to just have all these contingencies and stuff ready to roll for for when the numbers do get spat out because the league has a lot of money flying out the door. Um and the Hornets are going to lose several uh games here at the end of the season so they're going to be down they're not going to hit their like 70 game quota for the local tv contracts so that's unfortunate another sort of unfortunate aspect of them on the outside looking in of the, of the 22 team uh format that's heading down to orlando but yeah look the hornets were expected to have over 20 million dollars in, in cap space this summer with uh bismack biombo Marvin Williams bought out MKG, Michael K. Gilchrist bought out and Bismack Biombo, his deal ending. And I mean, who knows, who knows what the cap is going to look like. I'm certain there'll be some sort of smoothing function. So it doesn't just like decline $20 million or $15 million, or it's, you know, 20% below four projections had it set to be for the 2020, 2021 season. Um, but yeah, the Hornets were in position to be a cap space team, which, you know, that, opens you up to facilitate and take on bad contracts in exchange for assets, uh, draft picks, good young players, second round picks, first round picks, all that stuff. And, you know, Charlotte may have lost an opportunity to do that. We'll see how things go. Um, but they do have more money with Cody Zeller and Nick Batum coming off the books in 2021. So perhaps, um, you know, there's a chance for them to still activate and function as a cap space team, which is something they have not been able to do since 2016 when they re-signed a big free agent class after making the playoffs. Call me crazy, BG, but you couple young progress and developmental progress, congruency between G League and NBA team with, hey, we're going to have some cap space pretty soon. If I, yeah. if I didn't know any better, looks like the Hornets might be a pretty good basketball team for a while. <laughs> They they definitely had some pieces in place. I mean, again, I really will be see to, will be interested to see what the financial hit looks like 
both on and off the books for Charlotte, you know, assuming they'll, they may be operating at a loss for this season because, you know, they're going to be missing out on, on TV money and, and, and gate receipts playing at home. Um, and just we'll see what the cap looks like for, for, for next season. But to your point, yes, they have some good young players. They have their bird rights. They own all their draft picks. They're going to have two picks in the top 32 this season in the draft. Like, they should be able to go out and get two good players there. Um, you know, pick eight, pick 32, or maybe they get a little bit of luck in the lottery as well, too. So, yes, the things were, things are trending in the right direction, but it, it will be interesting to see what shakes out with the cap. Uh, one last thing for you, BG. On the top, we, we mentioned the 22-team format, and they're going to play uh, a, some, some regular season games to wrap things up, and they'll develop a play-in series, and, and that mm-hmm. only after that will there be playoffs. With this long, extended, unexpected break, I, I'm just asking you to speculate here. Um, does this favor or or hurt anyone's chances of winning an NBA championship, anyone in particular? It's like, I think we'll find out, I think we'll know more like in a a couple months from now because we'll see who stayed in shape, you know? Yeah. We'll see who who ate well. We'll see who who kept exercising because like if some guys have been out of shape and I'm sure they are, like I'm not in as good a shape as I was the first week of March too. (laughs) Like, you know, and I am, I am, you know, you could see guys pulling hamstrings or, or having little bits and injuries. Like, I think you can argue, so I think some people can argue this favors a younger, more energetic team. I think other people could take the exact opposite side and, and argue that as well, too, that it favors the, the old, the older teams, too. Um, I just still, I still feel very confident of the, the champion coming from one of the Lakers, Clippers, or Bucks. And yeah, we'll just have to, have to see. I think it would have been interesting to see if the, if the league had, as opposed to going conferences, as opposed to going eight in, eight in the West, eight in the East, that's our 16-team playoff, if they had gone one through 16 with the entire league, then we could have maybe gotten to some more interesting discussions off you know, who's going to be hurt by a reformat just because all of a sudden these matchups in the first round would have become in, in, incredibly competitive and, and compelling. But, but that did not happen, and I think the NBA did, did a mostly okay job uh, starting this back up. So we'll, we will find out very quickly, but... Right now, I think it's hard to gauge. Um, my hope would be a team like the Lakers, though, that has LeBron. Everyone on that roster knows how important a fourth title is to LeBron, what that says for his resume. My hope would be that every person on that roster has been locked in the last couple of months, uh, even as they've not been able to like get into basketball gyms and work out. Like The stakes are just so high for LeBron's all-time resume. So... I would float them as a team that I would expect to maybe have a little bit of an edge um, just because the guy that's their leader, um, this really does mean mean a lot to him and and his legacy too. So maybe them would would be a team that I would throw out as I could see them having maybe perhaps even a slight advantage uh, as we're heading into uh, what is going to be an unprecedented finish for the, uh, the 2020 season here. Yeah, the, the neutral court intrigues me as well. I think that's an Crazy. added layer. Um, I, I would have yeah. liked the 1 through 16 element, but I saw a report via uh, Adrian Wojnarski of ESPN s- citing that the league didn't want to switch that midstream on teams like yeah. in the East that maybe you built a team 
in preparation for battling the east the rest of the eastern conference to make your way so that seemed fair to me you make a really good point about lebron james because one of the few pieces of sports content that we have all taken in during this break was the last dance which was centered around michael jordan's greatness and sort of rethroning MJ as the greatest of all time. It's hard for me to imagine that during this lull, LeBron hasn't been keeping tabs on his teammates and at least making sure that they're going to give themselves the best chance possible. I would say so. Like it, it has to be. Um, And again, just the stakes are so they're so high. Like I think if he wins his fourth title, I think that that ties him, but that puts him on a plane with magic. You know, I think that magic has four. So just like, the, the names you're throwing around, these are the all-time titans of the game, and as he's trying to perhaps inch his way closer to Kobe's five or, or MJ six, not like saying that's the ultimate barometer for uh, or metric for what determines all-time success, but it matters, you know. So I think that has to to play a role. And I, and I would say, too, just before I hopped on with you guys, too, uh, over at, over at uh, The Athletic and Stadium, Shams tweeted out, the NCAA says draft prospects have until 10 days after the draft combine, which is on August 3rd, uh, whichever comes first to withdraw from the postponed 2020 NBA draft. So not a ton of local guys in, in, in the state of North Carolina, like testing out the waters. Like you've got DJ Funderburk at NC State, uh, Jay Huff at Virginia. But that is something to keep an eye on. Like that's going to be running up with when you know, the school year will be starting next year. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah. going forward for the draft and for, for ACC and, and college hoops too. Something to, to be mindful of. So I wanted to sneak that in here too. For sure. No, that's interesting. Something to uh, be mindful of as we get closer to everything resuming, but then other things starting all at once. It's going to be a, a, a weird sports frenzy when we get to this yeah. fall. But uh, he's Brian Geisinger at bgeis underscore bird on Twitter of the ACC Sports Journal accsports.com sports channel eight and the buzzbeat podcast bg my friend good to hear from you be well yes same to you same to everyone uh yeah be safe out there all right cool that's brian geisinger at bgeis underscore bird on twitter a lot of good stuff there robert so i took it a little over because well it's just josh on the other side just josh just josh we're gonna play the movie game we do that not every week but i i like to do it so while i'm here we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes movie game, and its roles are going to be reversed. Josh Graham's going to be on the phone, and I'm going to be here, as I have been. That's next on The Drive. Sports talk. Saluting the fellow sportsmen. If you're talking about it. I'm talking truth. We're talking about it. Who are you talking to? Sports fans everywhere. This is Radio. The Drive with Josh Graham. Welcome back in. It's The Drive. Darren Vaught here. Josh Graham elsewhere. Robert Walsh on the other side of the glass. Safe distance. He gets it. Um, This has been fun. It's been a fun day. And a couple of things. We've got a point of breaking news, which is kind of obvious, but seeing as how we're broadcasting the triad region of North Carolina. I think it's pertinent because one of our teams is wrapped up in this. As of just a few moments ago, the NBA G League released a statement 
NBA G League President Sharif Abdurrahim today announced that the remainder of the 2019-2020 NBA G League season, which was suspended on March 12th, has been canceled. The G League's regular season was scheduled to conclude on March 28th, so they got, you know, most of it in for the G League. And with NBA moving toward this plan of finishing out their season and their playoffs in or or near Orlando at Disney, uh, not a surprise that the G League would would stand pat and officially cancel their season. We did the Throwback Thursday Imagine Dragons of the Miami Marlins earlier. That's the sounder that plays. We're looking for the not necessarily the best, but the most memorable players every Thursday on Throwback Thursday for whatever team we select. Today, Miami Marlins. And Robert, I just feel like with it just being me and you today, just did you get it? Do, do you get it? Not at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. I do know who R.A. Dickey is. I know who a, a knuckleball is. Who, I, who a knuckleball is? I know what a knuckleball is. All right. I yeah. know what a ball You is. did learn some things earlier I did. in the Baseball I, I, for Dummies segment. I feel like you keep filling in for Josh, dude, and I'm going to be a regular baseball whiz. What was that kid off uh, Backyard Baseball name that was the best? Pablo Sanchez? I'll be a regular. Another Sanchez. We oh. had two Sanchez's in the Imagine Dragons for uh, the Marlins. I'll be a regular Sanchez by the end of this. So I got a, I got a suggestion that I have to, to – Contribute nice, and add it. to the show. This is Javik via via text. He's actually uh, an up and coming young play by play broadcaster at Elon University. Was just recently recognized in their um, the All American rankings done by the the STAA, the Sportscasters oh, yeah. Talent uh, Agency really of America. Really skinny kid. Uh, he's, he's he's got like hair on his head. Not really skinny. Never I mean, heard you know, of him. He's got brown hair. He's taller <laughs> than me, I think. Uh, Javik's a, a a really good guy with a bright future. He's in, as a freshman at Elon, was named to the top 10 of the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America's All-American rankings is what they call it. Or, you know, the, the, the number one ranked student broadcaster is given the Jim Nance Award. And he, as a freshman, was the highest ranked freshman in the history of the rankings. Oh, and they wow. go back, you know, uh, over a decade now. I think this was the 12th or 13th year. So, Javik's got a lot going for him. He's a huge baseball guy, and he sent me the name. Ready for this name? You don't know who this person is. I guarantee it, Robert. Adani Echevarria. No clue. Of course not. Not even the faintest. Middle infielder for the then Miami Marlins in the 2010s. Sounds like um, a hell of a bowler. Adani Echevarria. Echevarria. You can change up the emphasis. Sure. He's got a, he's got an accent. You get it. Yeah. You get it. No, I don't. Do you? I don't, you don't get it, but I'm here either way. All right. So, Mike Norvell, this Florida State thing, he told a reporter he had spoken to all of his players one-on-one, a, a prominent player for him, Marvin Wilson, took to Twitter to say, no, he didn't do this. It's kind of outrageous that our coach would tell a reporter this when he didn't. And this was this is all framed around the 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 recency of the uprising and the 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 swell of support for the black community after the the killings 
of George Floyd and others and the police brutality against black citizens. And it just, it reminded me of this theory. And it was, it's a good time to think about things like this, Robert, because it's, there's a lot of bad news or no news lately, and it can be easy to get down in the dumps. I think we can all agree to that for sure. So to some extent or another, the world's kind of a weird place right now. So say what you want about social media for good or bad, that sort of thing. I, I sometimes, sometimes it's the bane of my existence. I'm on Twitter a lot because it's how I get my news. Um, I'm not on Facebook anymore, even though I used to be. Good for you. I bet it's toxic there. It is. It's, it's a cesspool of willful, willful ignorance in, on a lot of days. So I just decided I didn't need it in my life anymore. A bunch of people trying to change each other's opinion who will never change their own opinion. Yeah, something along those lines. As it, you know, it has its positives. It can be used for good for things. Um, I enjoy dog pictures on Facebook. Yeah, but you can get those on Twitter. Maybe that's why I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> so anyways, I, I, of course, have my qualms with social media, just like anybody else. I don't think it's the end of society. I don't think it's, it's necessarily dooming us all or making us dumber, ultimately, as a whole. I believe that it's ultimately going to hold us all accountable. The idea of social media and the idea of technology to the point that, Robert, you and I both have these contraptions at our sides at all times. I haven't looked at my phone in two hours, but it's right here ready to use when I need it. It's got a camera on it. It's got an internet connection. I have social media platforms. Anything I see in my purview can be recorded and sent to the masses just like that. There's another snap on the radio. Instantly. Great radio. And yeah, that results in a lot of weird headlines. It results in Riley Cooper yelling racial slurs at a a Kenny Chesney concert, was it? Whenever. Correct. This is a handful of years ago. Yeah. Which which also goes to say that like it's kind of sad that this is nothing new, the things that we're talking about of the past week. But when it comes to a football coach telling reporters that he's done something in the interest of his players when he hasn't done it. 2020 is the year for that to happen and for Marvin Wilson to see it and call it out. 2020 is the year. No Bobby Bowden team was going to get that kind of response. Uh, Only the most recent. And what it's ultimately going to do is make Norvell think about what he says and just be, be a little bit more mindful of the things that he says. I'm not, I'm not calling him a liar or a perpetual liar or anything like that. He just took the easy way out. He but if he to- has a tendency to say something a bit more favorable in a setting in which he doesn't think it's going to get realized that he didn't do, he's going to think about it twice now. Is that going to make things better in Mike Norvell's lifetime or my lifetime or yours? 
not in a binary fashion, not in a, a yes, no, it's better, it's not fashion. But I'd like to think he feels like he's being held a little bit more accountable now. Even if it's at a granular level, Mike Norvell is going to pay a little bit more attention. Drew Brees, when being interviewed by anybody, Yahoo Finance or otherwise, it was seen by more people than any interview Drew Brees has ever done. Without question. 2020 was the year for that to happen. Because the outrage and the fallout immediately afterward reminded Drew Brees, as is indicative of his apology and statement on Instagram at Drew Brees earlier today, I should have thought twice about it. I can be better. Is he a totally different person this morning? than he was yesterday? No, probably not. But chances are Drew Brees is going to think twice the next time he starts to give an answer that neglects the very issue at hand when it comes to racism and police brutality against black people. And I'm for that, but then I question if that's detrimental to the progression of him understanding because I, I understand it'll make him think, but is it going to make him understand? Is he just going to say something because he knows that's the safe thing to say and that's what they want him to say? Because he, Or is he going to say that because he really feels that way in his heart? Are yeah. we ever going to be able to change people's mind fully if it's just these checks and balances and I want to avoid the masses? Like I want people to change because they want to change. Yeah, and that's where the idealism with this theory comes in, right? Like... The idea that you are always being watched, you are always capable of being filmed in what you are doing and being seen, scares people. It does. Yeah. I mean, it scares me. It scares people. I don't pee outside anymore just because of that. Because <laughs> there's always somebody. Not to bring up something funny, but... No, no that's good. That's good. We need levity in, <laughs> in, in doses here. But, but as, as like an, an example... Right? I'm not saying that it's actually true. You were making a joke, but say, <laughs> I do. I say Robert has an issue with peeing in public. You're not going to do it anymore? Nope. Maybe not because you don't think it's right. Because I don't want to get caught. Because you don't want to get caught. I don't want the repercussions. Right? Isn't that better than the alternative? Uh, and isn't there also a chance that over time, maybe decades maybe generations, over time, if people are doing these things to not get caught or not get seen instinctively, why fight the battle of doing something bad versus doing something good? Isn't it going to become second nature at some point to right. do the right thing? It is long form what you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in the end, I think that this is going to take a long time to make any difference. So, I mean, you're right. At the end of the day... I wouldn't be mad about that. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, and I, I no, I appreciate it because I, that's the only way we figure this stuff out. That's just that's my theory. And whenever I want to feel better about the world and where it's going, and if you get if you dig too deeply into the comments somewhere, that's just sort of my reset, my reset button. All right, we're all being held accountable. In the end, it's going to make us better. Mike Norvell, Drew Brees. 
Dabo Sweeney, Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. Hopefully, he's seeing this and is it's having a similar effect. Hopefully, we're all going to think twice before the next time we just shoot something off, um, or say something. Yeah. Just instinctively. Thinking before speaking, we can all agree, is better. A positive trait to have. The more you think before you speak, the better quality there's going to be. You sound like of what comes out. Right? I, I'm, like, I'm just trying. I'm a, just trying to make make sense of a world that at times can be kind of negative. And Robert, I that's all. That. That's all I'm trying to do. I that's my that. idealistic view of the world and social media and its place in it. And uh, hopefully that makes you feel better about the things that are going on and the headlines you see and and just knowing that people are being held accountable, ourselves included. I'm not. Yeah, you know, we have to we're, actively we're not, do that every day. Yeah. Is, is hold ourselves. Accountable. Dude, we I've I've been talking on the radio for the past two and a half hours plus. There's there's an there's an element of thinking to talking and the threshold at which it's appropriate to to just let something fly out of my mouth as opposed to being very deliberate with what I say. And I'm no, the loose cannon in this relationship. You are. You are. And we are like look, we all we all will say dumb things. Like I have been in this industry long enough and on platforms long enough that that, that give me a voice to know that like I'm going to misstep with words. It's just it's about intent and severity. And the more you hold yourself accountable because you can be held accountable by others, chances are the better you're going to do with that. The better you're going to fare at it. And a lot of these guys, coaches, athletes, they don't necessarily intend to, to get thrust into this world where they're constantly making statements whether they know it or not, but it's just become part of it. It's a little bit different than this, yeah, because I volunteered to be on the radio for several hours today and tomorrow. You knew you were going to be speaking. Yeah. It's different in that way, but you just have to you have to accept responsibility for it, whether it's a direct application of what you want to do or not, and hold yourself accountable. And it helps when the rest of the world is better equipped to hold you accountable too. Um, we've got one more segment before we tie things up for today. I'm Darren Vaught filling in for Josh Graham. Let's take a break on The Drive.